Welcome to our study of the book of Ephesians. This is the last chapter of this book, and we're going to be kind of picking up where we left off. Now, if you remember from Ephesians chapter 5, we were kind of looking at the last uh, half or so. Uh, we were looking at a household and what life in Christ should look like. Because that's what really, especially the last half of the book of Ephesians is all about, is what does being a Christian actually look like uh, within your own individual life, within our families, and different things like that. So we saw in Ephesians 5, especially a lot of talk about husbands and wives and their relationship to one another, but that continues on because that's not all there is to a household. Now, at the end of Ephesians 5, we did see that what he, of course, is talking about is Christ and the church. And I think it's always important to, to bring that back around to that relationship of Christ and the church. And now we're going to continue to see that there's more to the household. Now, to the household, let me go ahead and state this before that. Because, you know, a household of their day is a little different than a household of our day, necessarily. Because a household of their day would have included, of course, the father, the mother, and then you have children. But then it would have also included slaves and masters, that relationship. Now, I mean, to us, of course, you know, it's it's a foreign concept. And, and to us, we automatically kind of think about how slavery is a bad thing. And, and it most certainly has been a very bad thing in, in times past. Uh, but kind of a, a similar type of equivalent to us and a way that I believe it, it, uh, it does it justice to apply um, to our own lives today is not so much to think about slaves and masters, but to think about what about you know your job? Um, are you an employer or are you an employee? And depending on what relationship you are, maybe you're a little bit of both, I guess, perhaps, you know, maybe you are somebody else's boss. Um, wherever you kind of uh, are within that, there's something that this passage is gonna speak to about that. It's definitely gonna speak about how we need to behave around one another. So let's go ahead and, and uh, dive right into this chapter and learn more uh, about this great book and, and finish out this great book. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So whenever we get to this passage, we're going to be diving a little bit more into children and specifically fathers. Um, now, of course, if you find yourself as a mother instead of a father, um, these things do still apply to you. This is just kind of speaking about um, perhaps why it addresses fathers uh, in particular is that uh, um, that mothers as a whole, and I know I'm generalizing too much with this, but you know, mothers as a whole tend to be thought of as, as loving and, and tender with their kids. Um, I know that they can be quite stern and sometimes need to be quite stern. But fathers, especially during the time of Paul, uh, could have been known for uh, mistreating even perhaps uh, their, their own children. And, you know, I know that sometimes in our own society, fathers can be kind of hard on their kids. But if you look at other societies, um, I mean, some, sometimes fathers were just downright abusive to their kids. And that, of course, um, does not need to find it, its way at all into the household of, of Christ, you know, the household of, of a family who is following Christ. Okay, so let, let's start up. Let's back up to children. Um, kind of an interesting thing. I was even just listening to uh, something even this morning 
that uh, I, I think is kind of relevant to this. I wasn't even going to necessarily mention this, basically because I hadn't really thought too much about it. But there are several passages in the Old Testament um, that you know do kind of uh, talk about um, you know what we would consider spanking and, and discipline and stuff of, of your own children. Um, whereas in the New Testament, many of those things aren't kind of carried over specifically, and that's, that's kind of interesting, and I just want to throw that out there for you to consider that and maybe um, dive into that your, on your own uh, and maybe kind of if you've been thinking about some of those things about how to raise your own children, um, how to discipline your own children, consider what the Old Testament says, consider what the New Testament says, you know, um, see what God is speaking throughout both of those Testaments. But right here, of course, we do see that that Paul is diving back into some of these Old Testament concepts. Because what he says about children, he tells them to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you would be considered a child, uh, obey your parents. You know, this is what God wants us to do. And in verse 2, we actually see that he starts quoting from these Ten Commandments. And he says, honor your father and mother. Well, that's one of the big ten. We, we get that. But then he also says something very interesting about that. He says, it's the first commandment with the promise. Uh, well, what's that promise? Verse 3, he's continuing to quote it. So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, I believe this is kind of a, a dual way that this happens because I think on an individual basis, if you can be a child who obeys your parents in the Lord, uh, life as a whole is going to go better and perhaps even longer uh, for you because you're going to be more willing to kind of submit to other authority figures whenever other authority figures come up because they will. You're, you're always going to have some sense of authority above you no matter who you are, no matter how high you climb uh, in the ladder of life. There's still always going to be somebody that you have to report to, somebody you have to answer to. That's just how it is always going to be. Um, and of course, we're going to get into that, that, you know, ultimately, even if you are absolutely at the top here on this earth, you still have to answer to God. Uh, okay. So there's always going to be somebody that you have to answer to, or, you know, some being that you have to answer to. But here, this promise, um, is connected with children obeying their parents. So on an individual basis, yes, I believe that this, uh, most certainly will, will bear itself out and life will be better for you. If you can learn to obey your parents, I know it's a whole lot easier for me to say this than it is to actually do that whenever you are in the midst of it, because sometimes we don't like submitting, but that's what we are called as a family in Christ to do. Now, we also see in verse three that I believe it's not just about the individual, but it's also about the community. If you can be a community, and in our case, uh, you know, with, with Israel, it was the whole nation of Israel. In our case, it would be the uh, culture of, of Christ, you know, the Christian culture that we are a part of. And it would be that we would be able to live uh, a long life on the earth. Now, specifically with Israel, it was so that they could live, you know, in the promised land and enjoy great blessings and all there. So all of this is kind of combined and connected. On the individual basis, it's true. On the whole community basis, it's true too. Things go better for us if this is the type of community that we can be. In verse 4, we see this um, statement about what fathers are supposed to do. You know, we're, we're not supposed to be too hard on our kids, but instead bring them up in this training and the instruction of the Lord. And that means there will need to be some discipline. There will needs to be uh, there. There will need to be um, some some instruction. Definitely, it all needs to be the ones that are gearing uh, whole families toward the Lord. This is what we have. We have not only the statements about 
husbands and wives, but now we have children, now we have fathers, or if you want to take this even more uh, general into parents, I believe that this still kind of applies, and we, we get that. Um, this, one of the reasons why I think it's specifically addressed to fathers, uh, in addition to what I've already stated, is that the fathers are supposed to be the head of the house, you know, the spiritual head of the household. Um, I, I, you know, that doesn't mean that women are any less. I think that we've kind of looked at that from the previous chapter. It just means that this is the way that God has asked us to structure our households. It has a history. It goes back to things. We're not going to get into all of that, but fathers are supposed to be the spiritual head of their household. So if you're a father who are listening to this, please pay special attention to verse four. Let's make sure that we, that we follow this and that we encourage one another to continuously follow this passage right here. So, as I stated, there's more to their household than necessarily what would be within our household. That gets into this slaves and masters. So, let's take a look at those verses. Verses 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly. As if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Okay, so like I said, if you want to take this and if you want to kind of apply this with the whole employee, employer, uh, who's your boss, are you the boss, and different things like that, however you kind of want to take these things, I think there's different ways in which we can apply these. Definitely, we see that whenever you are in a position that you are, by that position, called to submit to someone else, then we need to serve that person as if we are serving the Lord. I mean, that's specifically stated here in verse 7 among other passages, and it's not just whenever they're looking. It's that whenever they're looking, whenever they're not looking, this is just the type of people that we should be. We should be people who serve others as if we are serving the Lord. How would that make your workplace change if whenever you go to work, if you actually believed and acted as if you were serving the Lord? Would it change? I mean, it should. From the time that you know you were no longer a Christian, at least, to the time that now you are a Christian, it should change. It should look different. And maybe you think that you're doing a pretty good job of that, and that, that's great if you are. So we see that this is the call. The call is that we should act as if we are actually serving the Lord, which in some ways we actually are serving the Lord whenever we are submitting and whenever we are um, promoting the cause of Christ and the submission that Christ has called us into. Now, in verse 9, we see that it's masters or these bosses, that they are actually stated. It says, treat your slaves in the same way. Same, same way as what? Well, the same way as how he's just addressed the slaves, right? I mean, that logically makes sense to me that what he's talking about is that we need to be treating the slaves in the same way. We need to be aware that we have a master who is in heaven. We have a master who is God. And that's what I said before. No matter how high up you climb in the, the ladder, as far as a human being, if you are at the absolute top, and if you think you don't have anyone else that you have to answer to, you still have to answer to God. All of us have to answer to God, no matter how high we are. You might be pretty low, so to speak, and that's fine. It doesn't really matter one way or another. What matters is, are you serving Christ? Are you promoting the cause of Christ no matter how you are? And no matter where you are and, and what position you hold, 
That is what it means to be a Christian household. And then finally, we get into the, this passage. Uh, we're, we're nearing the very end uh, of the book right here, and we're getting into probably what most people think of whenever they think of Ephesians chapter 6, and that is the armor of God. I love this passage. Let's read it. Verses 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after having done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, so now we get into this armor of God. Let's make a few observations about this full armor of God. We are told that we're supposed to be strong in the Lord. How are we strong in the Lord? We're strong in the Lord whenever we do what verse 11 says, to put on this full armor of God. And we get a reason as to why we're supposed to put on this full armor. In verse 11, we see that the reason to put on the full armor of God is so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Okay, do you want to be able to stand up against what the devil is, is, is giving you and sending your way? Then put on the full armor of God. We also see another reason that's given in verse 13. Another reason for this armor is so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after having done everything to stand. You think it's important to stand? Yes, we need to stand up, uh, stand our ground. We need to be able to stand up against the devil's schemes. That's what we get all of this. And if you want more information about that with the devil's schemes, that's what verse 12 is about. He's explaining our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood. Now, it's a sad statement that whenever you look at church history, you find out that several times Christians literally took up physical arms and went against people because they thought for one reason or another that they were in the right and the other people are in the wrong. Our struggle, verse 12 again, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We as Christians are pretty much never called to, as a group of Christians, um, pick up arms and with force force our way or force the, the way of God upon other people. Uh, that's not the way of Christ. The way of Christ is submission. The way of Christ is the cross. It's not picking up arms. However, we do see this armor of God. It's a spiritual armor of God. It's not one that you can even see on somebody else. You can't even see it on your own self. I believe that you can know whenever you are uh, fully clothed in this armor, but you can't necessarily see it. You can't see it on yourself. You can't see it on somebody else. Because our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood. You can't see these things. But at verse 12, we see, but it is against these rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the, this uh, dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, this is a way that Paul, several times, he talks about uh, the heavenly realms, the unseen realm that is around us. It's the spiritual realm. And it's one that, yes, they're, they're actively around us. Um, so, you know, yes, on this earth, we have rulers, we have authorities and different things. But, you know, there is some type of way that the unseen world around us, it, it mirrors that too. That there's some type of a hierarchy. There's, there's a, a battle that is going on around us that oftentimes we are unaware of and we just can't see it. But it's there. It's constantly there. And it will be there and, you know, until, the, uh, until the end of time. Uh, whenever the Lord returns. 
For all of these reasons, that's why we have to have this full armor of God, is to protect us. So now, we see in verse 14 that we are called to stand. How are we called to stand and what are we, uh, what are we putting on ourselves? Now, I do believe that uh, pretty much these articles of clothing, I don't think that they really are, are all that important as to what specifically are, they are. The reason why I would say that is because if you look at other passages, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you find different lists of armor. And sometimes it's not always the same piece of armor that's mentioned with the, uh, the, the same um, property or characteristic that we are called to have. But the characteristics that we are called to have, in verse 14, we are called to have truth. Hold on. Let me make sure. I'm, I'm looking at this screen and I want to make sure that I don't miss anything here. Uh, so let me. Uh, here we are. Okay. In verse 14, we see that we are called to have truth and to be people of truth. We also see in verse 14 that we are called to have righteousness. In verse 15, we see that it's this gospel of peace. In verse 16, it is faith. And in verse 17, it is salvation. And then we also see in verse 17, the only uh, piece of this armor of God uh, with which it's, it's, uh, it's said to be, instead of defensive, it's an offensive weapon. It's a weapon of attack. And it is the sword of the Spirit. But what is the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. So the only weapon with which we have the, the authority given right here in the full armor of God to attack with is the Word of God. Now, I mean, that doesn't mean that you know we actually attack people with it. It means that we're supposed to stand our ground that we're supposed to be able to stand up against the devil's schemes. That's what it means about picking up this armor uh, of God, picking up the, the word of God specifically right here. So all of these things are things that we need to be people of. People of truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. We've got to know it. And that is usually those six things. Um, that's usually considered the full armor of God. However, I have a question for you. Is the armor of God actually include one more piece of armor? I mean, this is where typically the, the text ends whenever it's talking about the armor of God. But is it actually seven things? Why I would say that is the next three verses right here. Verses 18 through 20. Listen to them. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all, uh, for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly, fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Here's my question. We've, we've looked at those pieces of armor, but is prayer supposed to be part of the armor of God? I mean, it's not specifically listed as, as being like, well, you know, it's not, uh, it, it's, it's not a shield. It's not our breastplate. It's not our helmet. It's not any of these things. But it is still mentioned that we are called to pray in the Spirit. Okay. I, I mean, I guess you could kind of answer it either way. If you want to say that it's not part of it because it doesn't have a piece of armor that's, uh, that's connected to it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you might be right in that case, except for it is closely connected with this passage. And I think that you can easily make a case that it is part of the armor of God. And I think it should be included in the conversation about the armor of God because, you know, after you have fully clothed yourself, we still need to be praying, don't we? Yes, of course we do. We need to be praying in the Spirit all of the time. 
um, on all different types of occasions as well. Even Paul himself, that we would consider, you know, one of the best Christians. I, I know that I most certainly consider him a really, really good Christian. What we see is that he's also asking for prayers. That means none of us are above asking for prayers. We need to be people who will pray for one another and ask for prayers from one another. In verse 20, the reason why he's asking is, he says, pray that I may declare it. Talking about the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul was asking for prayers that he would boldly and fearlessly proclaim the gospel. Now, I mean, I, I would think that he would normally do that, right? Yeah, and he normally would. But how much of that is the Lord's strength that was helping him? How much of that was the prayers that people were offering up that was giving him that boldness, that was giving him that fearlessness? What about the Pauls of our day today? How many Pauls would we have if we would actually pray for one another? Just a little bit of food for thought. We most certainly need to be people of prayer. We need to be people who will ask for prayers for one another. And there's a few more things in this chapter that we're going to take a look at. Um, this seems to, for the most part, be a little bit more of the housekeeping thing. So the last few verses are just closing this letter up. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24, Paul says, Tychicus, my dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from the God, uh, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So in this passage, I guess another thing that we can we can get from this is it's all well and good for us to have the written uh, words going back and forth and encouraging one another. That's what this letter of, of the book of Ephesians is all about. It's a letter that's encouraging them. However, we also see connected with this letter that there is a statement that someone is going to be physically coming. Now, you know, even like this study that we're doing right now, Oh, it, it's great that we can connect with one another like this and that we can still be studying the same thing. And, and maybe that you can watch these videos as a family and be able to discuss these things uh, with one another and to be able to learn more and grow more and that we can grow as, as a church. But there's also something to be said about physically meeting together, about being able to see people face to face and interact with, with them face to face and to encourage each other. That's what we see is at the end of this letter. And, you know, Paul and other people in the New Testament, they kind of, they voice this in several different ways. They say, you know, I, I, I love that I can write to you. This is a paraphrase. But they say, I love that I can write to you, but I'm going to love it even more whenever I can speak face to face with you. There's something about actually being there in the presence of one another, actually living our lives together. That's what we as a Christian community are called to do. Can we do it? As always, as we bring this lesson uh, to a close and, and this study of the book of Ephesians, uh, I would encourage you to take a look at the Bible Project video again that goes over the entire book of Ephesians because uh, I've encouraged you to look at this before we look through it uh, every single chapter. And now I would say it would be great for you to just kind of look at it again. Uh, any type of overview like this, it just helps keep the whole book together 
and for us to be able to understand what is the message of this book. We've been looking at it for six weeks now, okay, a month and a half. Do you remember everything that we looked at? That can kind of help tie it all together. And the wonderful thing about these videos is if you want to go back and review a certain chapter, you can. Feel free to do that. Uh, all of the videos would be easy to, to uh, be found. You can locate those on the, the YouTube channel, uh, definitely. And I, I try to put them in little playlists. Uh, I, don't, I don't have this in a playlist yet, but maybe by the time you're watching it, it will be as part of a playlist that you can look that up and, and be able to, to easily see uh, which chapter, if maybe you missed one or something like that. But uh, I will definitely put a link to this video uh, in the video description of this one here. So that, that way you can go and look that video uh, up and watch it and learn. And I believe it would be great a great ending for this lesson. So thank you very much for studying the book of Ephesians uh, with me, and I hope that you have, have grown and put these things into practice.